Would you like to exchange best practices and ideas to improve care, enhance operational efficiency, and address financial challenges with your peers? Becker's Healthcare is facilitating these conversations at their 8th Annual Health IT, Digital Health, and RCM meeting. You can check your eligibility for complimentary attendance at the link in the description. We are excited to welcome you in October. This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Sandra Elliott, Chief Innovation and Commercialization Officer at Hackensack Marine Health. Sandra, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Now, I know we have a lot to talk about. There's so many exciting things happening, and in particular at Hackensack Meridian, you know, it's just a, a health system that is very much on the cutting edge of healthcare delivery today. But before we dive into my questions, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. So as the Chief Innovation and Commercialization Officer for uh, Hackensack Meridian Health, I can say that I have one of the best jobs in the world. Uh, I, uh, it's, it's not common, I guess, from what I understand that people get to do what they love, but uh, I actually do, and I have a tremendous amount of fun doing it. So my role within the organization is really to help build that internal uh, innovation culture. So uh, for us, what that means is not only creating new solutions um, uh, that potentially are going to help us treat our patients differently and more improve outcomes and also potentially become more efficient, but it's also about building a culture of problem solving um, and giving a license to our team members to say, we know on a day-to-day basis, you're facing tons of challenges and many times you're coming up with uh, ideas of how to overcome those challenges. And we really wanna continue to build that throughout the organization. It also helps us to get our team members engaged in that. And one of the the interesting things about that is is you really see the level of commitment of um, team members whether they're doing direct patient care or they're in one of the quote unquote back offices dealing with um, billing, they are truly dedicated to making patients' lives better and in whatever way they can. And it's a real exciting um, thing to see and, and seeing ideas that come from those team members kind of evolve and potentially become solutions that not only are implemented throughout the network to, to make a difference in patient care and, and also the, the, the lives of the team members that are taking care of them, but potentially to outside of the network uh, as well. So, so that's where it comes into the commercialization side of things. So we work with a lot of organizations to uh, potentially take some of those ideas and get them out into the marketplace. Um, sometimes they need further development and sometimes they don't. But in addition to that, it's really about bringing, um, uh, one of the things that we've done is really kind of create an umbrella of academics, research, and innovation uh, under what we're calling the Research Institute, and it's a separate division in the network, but it's really targeted towards the development from idea or the academic component uh, of a lot of what not only our our clinicians do, but some of our our students and team members to really understanding how we can take that that new information and begin to translate it into something that has uh, clinical value and or operational value in the network. So we work with our academics research and innovation teams throughout the network to not only drive translational research and product development, and new uh, technology, whether it be digital or therapeutic, for example, to to really solving and understanding whether or not those particular new ideas can actually have an impact on moving the needle on clinical outcomes and financial outcomes. Um, One of the things that we're we're really focused in on is that our clinical journey or the clinical um, 
uh, part of the organization really should be driving the financial aspect. Your, your, your clinical risks are your financial risks, basically. Um, and I, I don't mean that, that um, all the clinicians should drive you know, the decisions of the finance, but if you're doing the right thing on really trying to drive um, clinical outcome change, you're really going to also keep the lens up. How do I do that efficiently? And how do I build operations that can support that clinical change for the future? And I think it's been uh, a really uh, super satisfying role. I came out of uh, healthcare from uh, the old days of uh, uh, being a, um, a pharmacy tech in a Kmart pharmacy many years ago, though my first job was to run the blue light at the blue light special uh, in, in Kmart for those of you who still may know what that is. Um, but moving towards uh, operations was kind of a, a, a key thing for me and really understanding on the administrative side. And then I transitioned during the time of the whole re-engineering uh, phase of healthcare to cutting our ways to success and, and realizing that, that particularly in healthcare, we weren't necessarily as a deliverer of care, looking at how we could grow the business as well to, to drive a, a positive bottom line. So that innovation slash entrepreneurial support uh, mindset has really been driven um, uh, from that desire to constantly evolve and grow um, uh, throughout the the, the uh, industry transition. So uh, I get the the opportunity to kind of grow along with it, which is super exciting. That's fascinating to hear, and I, I love so much of what you said in terms of the transition from the healthcare healthcare delivery as we've seen it in the past to what it is becoming today, um, and then to the clinical driving some of the financial. Uh, success, like you mentioned, I, I can, you know, definitely hear over and over the idea that if you have the clinical in place, then everything else, you know, should should be able to be supported in that because, you know, you're doing great work. So the thing I wanted to follow up with you on, though, real quick was, you know, you mentioned having the um, organization has a really culture of problem solving. And that intrigued me because I think that is a hard thing to do in terms of um, you know, getting people into a mind space where that they are, feel empowered to solve problems and especially some of the hard problems in healthcare right now. Um, so what did you do in order to build that culture and did it work? I think there are a couple of key aspects for us, particularly on the clinical side, you know, is really trying to tap into the, that clinical person's direct drive to just that scientific curiosity, right? So whether you're a nurse or therapist or a physician in the operating room, there's there's a reason that they're in healthcare. You know, yes, they want to take care of people, but they also have that scientific inclination to say, um, how do we solve a problem, right? What is the thesis? How do we get around, you know, the challenges we have today? So we've tried to, to really target very specific uh, problems or challenges that the network is, is, is facing and say, you know, we really want to get you guys involved in this. And we really drive it to a couple of things. One is making sure there's a clear problem to solve and what the scope of that problem is. Um, how do we measure that problem today? And how do we potentially want to see the measurement change over time, whether it's an improvement or a decrease or whatever it is, but in a way that we can say, you know, when we have uh, an intervention or a new solution, can we tell if it's actually having an impact? So we're building through that process of getting people to share those ideas focused in around a particular problem or challenge and beginning to build upon those ideas in a way that we can drive them to understand how do you assess opportunities for solving the problem in a way that can be 
scaled. And obviously everybody likes to talk about, you know, ideas that can scale, but scaling means uh, for us that I can quickly, rapidly, easily implement and see whether or not it's having an impact. So for us in low cost is another way of scaling something, right? It's, it's always easier if you can scale a solution if it's easy for people to use it's it's within the kind of workflow that they're already comfortable with so there are a lot of factors that go into that but we walk them through that process to to come up with potential solutions that the organization then will in turn turn around and say you know what we're going to invest in this idea and in this potential solution and see what what comes of it and we bring those team members who have been heavily involved in that particular development of an idea or solution in that whole process. So we're starting to build that innovation IQ internally in such a way that it becomes a second nature to them. And it's very interesting because those people begin to be sought out by others who are interested in solving problems to learn from. So we're trying to build that capability internally by kind of demystifying the innovation process to some degree and giving people tools and techniques to, to go through that process from idea to potentially having something that you can test um, and really beginning to um, communicate very effectively out to everybody, warts and all, the positives, the negatives, the struggles, but also building into that, I think there are two critical things. One is leadership buy-in. Now for us, leadership, we, we have a lot, like every other health system in this country, you're faced with a ton of things to do. So our leadership support is really not necessarily on helping generate ideas, but it's a we really put the accountability on the leaders to help on the actual implementation of a testing a solution, for example. How do we ensure that we can build this into the day-to-day -day operations in a way that we can evaluate whether it works or not? And more importantly is help assist those team members who are really um, rolling their sleeves up to, to try something different. And it's that has been a very interesting um, uh, journey for us because it's, it's about helping not only demystify, as I mentioned, the innovation process, but helping everybody know and understand that we're not all idea people and we're not all implementers, but we're all, uh, we all can be leaders and help uh, assist ideas move through the process and bring our expertise. So we're trying to tap into that. And a lot of that has to do with building trust. I have to trust as a team member within the organization that when I submit an idea, it's gonna be evaluated. And um, if it's if it's not something that the organization is comfortable with or, or is saying, you know, we really don't see the value in this, that we're, we're saying it, but we're doing it in a loving way, or I, I, I hate to say that, you know, in some respect, people say in a loving way, but it's really a caring way. And to say, we really value the fact that you, you stepped out, put an idea in to solve a problem, and we really want you to continue to do that. This one in particular isn't necessarily one we want to drive towards, but there is one that's very similar, and you may see value in working on this particular project. So we try and connect them, but more importantly is constantly demonstrate um, trust that people can feel comfortable to share their ideas and potentially have those ideas evaluated in a way that they can potentially flourish, because they all want to do really good things for their patients. That's a really excellent point. I love that mindset to, you know, figure out how to match people with the right opportunities that make sense for the health system and really improving patient care and care delivery overall. Now, what are some of the big opportunities overall that you have your eye on right now and what are some of the headwinds? Oh, lots of big opportunities. Um, I think for us, 
you know, there are a couple of areas of opportunity. One is anything that deals with automation. So how do I, uh, as an organization, how do we take a look at what's currently done from a workflow perspective and see what can be automated about it? Uh, or, or with uh, parts of it that can be automated to make it more efficient. And particularly as we're all facing, you know, staffing challenges in different aspects, we're all going to begin to think about how do I, uh, one, kind of clean out the, the junk, you know, the steps that we have in place that are just, in, just because, and they worked, you know, 10 years ago, but question is, do we really need them as they are structured today? And secondly is really saying, what truly does a nurse need to look at and be involved in as compared to a physician, as compared to maybe this can be automated? So not your typical kind of chatbot kind of things, but how do we automate uh, uh, clinical information in such a way that it's going to drive the right workflow to the right individual so that we're maximizing the, um, the nursing interventions based on their skill sets, but also the clinical intervention? How many times does a physician need to evaluate a particular um, uh, clinical journey of a patient, for example? And what is that most important time? What is that most important factor? Because at the end of the day, we want to be able to leverage everyone's skills to their maximum capacity. But until we begin to take a look at what we're doing from a workflow perspective and begin to understand what's valuable about it and does, is there a way to automate it, that's going to be a really uh, critical thing for us as an organization and any organization, I think, moving forward. Um, and those are just, they don't necessarily have to be the, the super charged up AI and ML on a clinical aspect necessarily as much as just starting out with workflows, for example. So I think that that's one particular area of opportunity that we're taking a, a critical look on, uh, look at. And then in addition, we're looking um, at how we can leverage you know, that next phase. How do we take information uh, and begin to understand how it can go together to do, do a better job in assisting our clinicians making decisions and um, clinical decisions in particular. So how do we leverage what's going on in pathology and molecular um, pathology as well as imaging and um, uh, pharmaceuticals as well as intervention monitoring, how do we pull that together in a way that truly does begin to help us understand what we can do as an organization to better treat, diagnose and treat our patient populations, whether that be on an inpatient basis, but also on an ambulatory basis. So I, I think that is another area of opportunity that hasn't necessarily been um, uh, kind of pushed forward. I think we've seen as an uh, organization, a lot of companies come to us with a a certain algorithm or um, uh, uh, automation that's really targeted at one particular component, one particular component of a disease, for example, and we're looking for those things that are much more scalable. So um, uh, I think that there's a lot of opportunity to really learn more about what's going on with patients and what's not working and what is working and what's working most efficiently. Uh, once we can pull these data sets in a meaningful way together um, to help make better decisions. But I think that in itself is kind of an interesting, uh, I'll, go, I'll go on a tangent here. I think one of the things that's been very interesting from our, um, our chief quality officer, uh, Dr. Azar, has been how do we not only try and meet, meet our benchmarks on the best, um, best in class or best uh, in case uh, benchmarks for clinical outcomes, how do we create the next new here? Um, how do we create that beyond and become the benchmark and really push the boundaries on how care can and should be delivered in the future? 
And not only how, but how do we begin to even approach that as a question that we want to answer? And that that's going to be an interesting thing to see as, a, as organizations continue to face a lot of automation coming to them, a lot of companies who are, are going to promise a lot of uh, data. Um, but I think it'll be interesting to see how that translated into new practice, uh, care practice models for the future. That's amazing to hear. And really, truly having your eye on the types of things that are going to come into the organization that are going to make things better. Um, you know, it's really awesome to, to know that that's on the horizon. Now, how do you really think through growth and development in your role on innovation, commercialization, and really adding value to the health system? I can imagine that every day you're getting pitches uh, for new technologies, new companies, and new ways to do things, but really a lot of them, you know, may not be something you want to pursue. So how do you vet out what's going to be valuable to you and then really make sure any investments, especially in, in you know, challenging financial times are going to be the right ones? Yeah, um, I, I would say that the easiest thing for us is really just creating what we're calling an innovation agenda. So what are the areas of opportunity uh, clinically uh, in particular? but operationally as well, that we're as an organization going to say our innovation agenda is to target these particular problems, whether that's reducing length of stay, reducing readmission rates, or um, literally um, moving the needle on clinical outcomes so we can actually not only have um, uh, measurable success in kind of the key metrics that everybody's move, you know is looking at, but also those metrics that make a difference in patients' lives. Um, and so we have gone through a process in which we will evaluate um, with our clinicians and our administrative staffs at the different organizations and across the different service lines to say, what does the innovation agenda look like for imaging, for example, in the inpatient and ambulatory care environment, for example? And then what is it that you as an organization can bring to this space that's different and unique or that you feel you can buy into to help begin to lead the journey of how change should occur in imaging services, for example, within HMH. And that begins to help drive a focal point for who we look at externally, but also who we're looking for from a partnership perspective. So with that innovation agenda, we will have at an executive level, a very crystal clear I don't want to say it's a plan, but a strategic direction that we want to focus our efforts on so that we, when things come up that can potentially compete um, or may compete or take people's um, time and effort and energy away, then we, we just have to go through a process to make sure that we're, we're making a decision that we're truly comfortable that if we're going to take on a new technology that hasn't been part of that innovation agenda as we've outlined, then why and how is that going to translate into, you know, back to what is the outcome we're seeking, you know, to, to, to change. But it has to be at a very high level, uh, that visionary and that uh, strategic direction has to be crystal clear, but we're building it from the bottom up as, as much as we possibly can. So that as those new uh, components come up, that they're within the the um, the lanes that the organization said, this is what we want to focus in on, and this is what we want to support moving forward with. I love that. I think it makes a lot of sense. It was just so interesting to hear the way that you've laid that out and put that roadmap from the strategic and executive level, and then 
you know, how you look at that for all departments across the organization. Um, that's just so interesting to, to have that. Thank you for letting us inside the process for you. Now, you mentioned having, you know, all the projects follow the strategic direction that's set at the top of the organization. Could you talk a little bit about what those priorities are for our Hackensack Meridian? You know, what are some of the, the strategic um, imperatives or, or direction that you want to go today? There are a couple of areas um, that are extremely interesting to us. One is, um, and I apologize because I'm probably going to go into a little uh, technical kind of focal area here on the immunology space, because for us, um, the immune system uh, immunology oriented treatments and therapies are going to become, in our mind, a major driver moving forward, particularly in non non-surgical uh, types of interventions moving forward. It's, we've already started to see that with um, uh, very high level cell technology that's coming out, for example, with CAR-T on the oncology side. But what we've begun to understand is that uh, the immune system response, whether it be to um, uh, you know, cancer and potentially even pulmonary disease, as well as uh, infections, whether they be bacterial, viral, or fungal, they, our immune system is, is our kind of our body's way of trying to cure itself, right? So how do we learn from that? How we can tap into that in such a way that either new therapies can come from that, or we can, I'll call it, turn on and turn off certain aspects of, of the bodily function or cellular function in a unique way. And driving that to, how does that fit into cardiovascular? So so immunology is definitely one of those areas of focus for us and trying to drive in that direction very early on um, so that we can begin to understand that the cross-sectionality, for lack of a better way to put it, whether it's cardiovascular, oncology, or neurology, we know that inflammation and immune system responses are going to be critical to better understand and, and create new technologies to either diagnose, uh, monitor, or even treat um, uh, conditions at a different in a different way and at a different level. So I think that we're, we're going to move from, you know, kind of, I think, from an organ-oriented uh, disease model to something that becomes much more cellular uh, in nature going forward. And that seems very futuristic, but I think that we're starting to see a lot more of that come, come down the pike. So anything that's chronic disease oriented is definitely an area of opportunity for us that we're going to focus in on. How do we drive that, those, those exacerbations of chronic disease further down that value chain? And what I mean by that is getting that care and services to the patient um, uh, where they are at the time they need it, and how do we support that in a very different way? And how does that translate into a new physician practice model? How does that transition into a new ambulatory care center model? And how do we actually drive that and move that forward at the same time, better understanding where those acute care uh, needs are going to begin to transition in the future? And I think that's a that's a balance for us that we don't exactly know where it's going to head, but we know that that is definitely going to be uh, a critical uh, area for us to focus in on in the future. So I think driving um, translational science um, from what are we learning to how do I transition what we're learning into a clinical environment is a major strategic focus for us. So how do we how do we create those right fulcrums so that we can learn and adapt quickly and begin to create those new solutions for the future. 
That's fascinating. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us. Real quick before we head out, I wanted to take a look at the future too. Where do you see some of the best opportunities for growth and development over the next year, two, three down the line? You know, I think um, one of the areas that we're going to spend some time on uh, is really understanding uh, automation through voice. Uh, and I think there are two aspects to that. One is automation, uh, automation that creates more efficiency, um, whether that's uh, in the workflow as it exists today or the future, but also how do we better leverage voice even in the diagnostic space? So I think that is one of those um, uh, really futuristic opportunities that we're, we're putting a little stake in the ground and saying we really want to understand this um, because we know that there are a lot of, uh, I'll call it voice biomarker capabilities that technology is enabling us to be able to dive into more. Um, so as we continue to automate, obviously the, the uh, Google Homes and uh, Amazon Alexas have, have changed our lives in series as well. How do we take that and begin to understand how that can change the lives of, of the, the, the clinicians and the patients and kind of making things easier? But at the same time, how do I know, how, do I, how can I leverage voice to really understand whether you really are uh, stressed or anxious or maybe you've got early signs of Huntington's or early signs of Alzheimer's? So I think that there are a lot, particularly on the neurological side of things, we think that there's a lot of opportunity there. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how that begins to evolve um, because the voice is, is the voice is automated. It's easy um, to automate around it, but at the same, because the technology has dramatically changed. So if we're using that voice anyway, the question is how do we dive into that even further and better understand um, uh, what it can, what we can learn about patients in that process. That's so interesting. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We'll have to have you on again to just go into uh, some of those topics more in depth, but I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. It's been a great time. Thank you. Absolutely. And we're also excited to have you at our Health IT Digital Health and Revenue Cycle event coming up in October 3rd through 6th in Chicago. So um, if you'd like to hear more from Sandra and many of her colleagues, please uh, uh, get onto the website at www.beckershospitalreview.com and uh, sign up for our event.